Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm your host. Let me just start off with the usual. Thanks for being here. Thanks for all of your likes, comments, subscriptions. I hate doing that because it sounds... Nobody likes saying that. Just, Just a little thing about everyone who does that. Nobody likes saying it. But it does kind of work. That's why everyone does it, even though it's stupid. So, well, stupid might be a bit of an, uh, might be a bit much there, because if it doesn't work, it's stupid. If it does work, then, well, it's just annoying, and it's mostly annoying. I know it's annoying because a lot of places I listen to, uh, they do it, and that's that's just what it is. So, just know that I feel as bad saying it as you do listening to it. <laughs> but if you would please, uh, that. All of those are appreciated. Please share the share the podcast around however you happen to consume it, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. Always appreciated. On the agenda this evening, last night, UFC on ESPN 26. Islam Makashev and Tiago Moises had a fight, as well as the return of Misha Tate, which... Ugh. I will have thoughts. <laughs> a preview of UFC on ESPN 27 next week, well, this coming Saturday at least, when... TJ Dillashaw, the former two-time UFC bantamweight champion, returns. He will be taking on Corey Sandhagen. The rest of that card kind of sucks. I don't have a better way. Look, I'm not here to lie to you guys. I'm here to tell you the truth. It's not a good card. It's really not a good card. So we'll preview it such as it is, but uh, it's not. it's not especially compelling on paper. And then just a few thoughts from around the world of combat sports. A few other things that, uh, a few other events happened. Uh, Conor McGregor made some more excuses, because of course he did. And just whatever other news of the week we happen to have going on. So that's what's on the agenda. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. I don't have anything else to get through here on the opening spiel. So, UFC and ESPN 26. Your main event last night. Uh, Islam Makashev defeated Tiago Moises via unanimous, via submission, rear naked choke. 238 of the fourth round. I don't know where my head went there. Uh, this was pretty one-sided for Makashev. It's, Tiago Moises is a good fighter. He's a jiu-jitsu, he's a fairly decorated jiu-jitsu competitor. Uh, he's got some power in his hands. I mean, the man had a good run in the UFC. I mean, he still does. He lost his debut, which he took on uh, he took on fairly short notice against Benil Daryush. Beat Kurt Holubo, lost to Demiris Magulov. Beat Michael Johnson, beat Bobby Green, beat Alexander Hernandez. He, those are they're not spectacular wins, but those are solid wins. Uh, he got Johnson with an Achilles lock, okay, kind of a straight, slightly modified straight ankle lock. It wasn't purely straight because there was an angle to it, but. Uh, the nuances between a straight ankle lock and a Achilles lock, and a eh, it's not worth getting into. It, point being, the man's a good fighter, but he had almost nothing for t- for Islam Makashev here. Makashev is a real problem. Uh, he's... Uh, the, when you look at his numbers... Uh, and pull him up here real fast. I mean, the man absorbs 
have a look at this. So his takedown accuracy, first of all, is 65%, which is f- ridiculously accurate for a takedown. I mean, you think of other big takedown machines. Daniel Cormier's, uh, Daniel Cormier's is not that high. Uh, Khabib's is not that high. It, it, I think there's a specific reason for that. I think people were so terrified of... Everyone compares him to Khabib for somewhat obvious reasons. They're both... They train together. They they both fight in the same division. And there are similarities, but... People were terrified of Khabib getting on top of them. Now, that's entirely understandable. Uh, Khabib would... Uh, if he got you down... And he got everybody down at some point or another. When he did, that was kind of it for you. Uh, He was... Khabib's takedown accuracy has been noted before. His accuracy on his takedowns was not the best. He was uh, 40-something percent, I think. I want to say something like that. He wouldn't get every... Point being, he would not get everyone he went after. But once he got one to stick... He never, never being, not an absolute, but if you got free from that man after he got you down once with his hands locked, that took a Herculean effort. And most people didn't. Most people, if he got you down, you were stuck. You could, you might get back up to your feet, but you were not, you couldn't get free. And getting free is much more important than getting, uh, than getting back up. This is something that, I've talked this about this before when it comes to the Khabib, what Khabib did that was out of the meta of traditional of the traditional mixed martial arts kind of expectations. Most people, if they get you down, if you get back up, they struggle to get you back down. It's kind of this foregone conclusion that you wall walk, you get up, and from there you can clinch break and get free. Nobody fence wrestled better than Khabib. And that's really what kind of made everything hell for everyone when they tried to fight him. Because he found a way to weaponize your best options against you. Makashev isn't quite that guy. He's not the same relentless takedown machine that Khabib was. Not the same mat return machine that Khabib was. He's... But when he goes to take you down, very accurate. You get a 65% takedown accuracy... If you reach the point when you're over 50%, you are more likely to get it than not. That's a that's a big thing. You can hit that threshold. And he's his top game is very different too. Um, you could see elements of it in this fight in particular. There was a point in the near the one point near the end of the fight, another point in the third round. He gets Moises down kind of against the fence, and he gets him down fairly easily. When he commits to a takedown, he's able to get it partially because his opponents aren't aren't as worried about it. He's better about distracting them with other stuff than Khabib was, for whatever that's worth. But he get, he got the ride position a few times. You know, so Moises is on his back, is on his knees, turtled up. And I'm watching this and I'm going, okay, because everyone's making the Khabib comparison, right here in particular... I know what Khabib would be doing, because I've seen him do it. He would be bludgeoning you. That's not what Makashev does. Makashev's top game, it's not that he doesn't have, you know, not that he can't damage you from top position, he can. But that's not his primary goal. His primary goal is a bit more, a bit more, almost traditional jujitsu. 
He wants to pass. He wants to control, pass, and go for submissions. That's more what he chooses to do. And neither one is better than the other in this particular respect, so I'm not. this is not a value judgment. But it is knowing, it is something you should know if you're going to fight this guy versus somebody else. You know, what, what is his goal in these positions? And Islam Makashev is a bit more concerned uh, with proper control, guard passing, and eventually getting a submission based on position. That it's not that Khabib wouldn't submit you; he absolutely would. But any time Khabib got to a place where he could exercise, exert reasonable control. His goal was not let me move to a better position, quote-unquote better. It was, okay, I can control you here. Now I'm going to unleash devastating ground and pound. And getting devastating ground and pound in and of itself is a very difficult thing to do. But that was what he did. That's not what Makashev does. Makashev's also a... I hate to say he's a better striker because I, I need to qualify this. Makashev is... If you were to put them in just a striking context, Makashev's a better striker than Khabib was based on evidence. Khabib's striking was almost more effective because he he did it to in the Khabib's striking was built and his style of striking was built fundamentally around service to his primary game. He didn't want to develop a good jab for the sake of developing a good jab to be in a boxing bout. He developed a good jab to help him control distance to make you think about it so he could fa- he didn't he had a decent right hand. He had a flying knee. You know why, why did he develop these things? Because they are tools that would service his desire to close distance and get his hands locked around you. There's a bunch of striking tools that Khabib never touched. And, again, I am not judging the man for it. His goal was to win, and he did that over and over and over and over again. But he built built his striking game for that purpose. Makashev seems to do a little bit more building the striking game to be good, kind of on its own merits. And I'm not passing judgment on that either. It's an observation. It does open up a few things for him that Khabib had to work more for, I think, than uh, Makashev does. If you watch this fight, Moises was willing to clinch up with uh, Makashev several times. No one willingly clinched up with Khabib. They They were afraid of it. For very understandable reasons. With Makashev, it's not... I don't think they fear him in that respect. He's not as overwhelming as Khabib was when he gets there. He's very, very dangerous. He has great foot sweeps. His his clinch game is very good. He's just a little bit willing to concede elements of position. He would let... I hate to say let. Moises got his back on the fence a few times in the clinch, and while Makashev was willing to reverse position on occasion, he didn't force it. I don't think he felt the need to. He was able to get a position that he felt kind of comfortable in, and if his back's on the fence, so be it. He's still the one unloading damage. He had some good body work in this fight. And once things hit the ground, man, he's he's not the same as Khabib, but he's still a huge handful to try and deal with when he gets there. That is not an easy at all position to find yourself in. Moises is a very good black belt, and he had very little. He had a nice kind of switch towards a triangle to avoid being slammed at one point, and a couple of times he tried to engage in a leg lock battle. He got into 
there's a there's a specific distinction between 50-50 guard, the saddle, and the honey hole, and there's forgive me, there's there's differences in all of them. Uh, so for the sake of simplicity, I tend to refer to any kind of leg entanglement 50-50 guard position as that. Even though there is a, I'm well aware there's a distinction between 50-50 guard and the saddle in particular. Uh, it's it's usually it's more useful if you're at, that's useful information if you're actually fighting to understand the nuances of the difference. But for the purposes of general observation, it's not a huge deal. He tried to get there a few times and won in the second round. I think he kind of started a leg lock sequence that looked okay. Unfortunately, after the first bit, when he tried for the heel hook, he couldn't quite control the knee line properly. And then he rolled for, again, more of a straight ankle lock and Achilles lock. And I had to chuckle. Not not in the most derisive senses, but trying to foot lock a Sambo guy like Mikashev, that is, that is an uphill climb you chose for yourself, my man. That's all I'm saying. So, where do we go from here with Mikashev? Um... He was ranked number nine coming into this, which I tend to think is probably accurate. Um, after the fight, he mentioned he would like. I'm gonna give Makachev credit. I'm gonna give Makachev credit for this in particular. That man has been calling out Tony Ferguson for years. You know, there was a period of time, in like 16, 17, when no one's calling. Tony Ferguson out, and and Tony's on his big epic winning streak, and I, I don't say that dismissively. Might have been 2018 even, I forget exactly. But point being, there's these times when Tony is on the cusp of a title shot, should be in the title picture if nothing else. And nobody wants to fight him, this is the height of the boogeyman, this is the height of El Kukui. And here's Islam Makachev saying, give me Tony Ferguson. I mean, that takes some... S- that takes guts, man. So I give him credit for that, if nothing else. He said he wants to fight. He still brought that up. You know, give me Tony Ferguson. Um, at the moment, I don't know. Tony Ferguson is still ranked fifth. Jeez. Maybe that makes more sense than I thought. Um, I don't think that would be a competitive fight at this point. That might, that might sound nuts, but I... I just don't think Tony's who he used to be at all. At all. Uh, he also mentioned Rafael Dos Anjos. Uh, I would be very... Uh, look, the, he should be fighting someone very near the top. He's ranked 9, so ranked above him at the moment we have as follows. Ascending from uh, Makashev. Makashev is 9. 8, Dan Hooker. 7, Conor McGregor. That's hilarious, by the way. Conor McGregor, lifetime record at lightweight in the UFC of 1 and 2 at this point. 1 and 3, sorry, 3. 1 and 3. He won the title from Eddie Alvarez. He lost a match with Khabib. He lost the first Poirier fight. He lost the second Poirier fight. The man has one win at lightweight in the UFC, period. I mean, look, if the question at hand is where does Connor, if we were to just rank, if I was ranking the best lightweights by who's the best, Poirier's at the top, probably followed by Oliveira, then Gagey, Chandler, Dariush, my opinion. So that's kind of like your top, like, five best lightweights in the world. Is Connor a top ten lightweight in the world? I mean, logically, 
probably. But I don't think you can rank if if you use say if we're using the hypothetical rank them from the best fighter in the division to the worst. Connor might be top ten ish, somewhere in that space. Probably, I'd I'd feel okay putting him in the top fifteen lightweights in the UFC, or the world. Yeah, probably still in the world too. But is he the seventh contender for the lightweight title at this point? Absolutely not. Anyway, above Connor, so Connor at seven, Rafael dos Anjos at six, Tony Ferguson five. Chandler 4, Dariush 3, Gagey 2, Poirier 1, and the champion Charles Oliveira is unranked. I I don't know how you have Tony Ferguson number 5. He's on a... Th- God help you. He's on a three-fight losing streak. Three or two. I have to confirm that. It might only be... If it's only two, I'm going to rescind part of that. So, hang on. I want to confirm... I confirm that real fast. No, it's three. I forgot the Oliver. Yeah. He's on a three-fight losing streak. He got finished by Gagey. He got dominated and had his arm nearly broken by Oliveira. Then he had his knee messed up by Benil Dariush. You're on a three-fight losing streak at lightweight. You are not the fifth contender. That's... I love Tony Ferguson, man. My I have stumped for that man on many an occasion here. But you are not number five. Not on a three-fight skid. But since he is ranked number five, Makashev should be fighting someone in that, like, somewhere between Chandler and McGregor. So four, five, six, and seven, that that's that group of people. That's who he should be fighting next. Uh, so if Tony's five, I mean, I don't, from a purely competitive standpoint and career trajectory standpoint, I don't like it. Uh, I I don't like it, but for some reason, Tony's number five. And if you think that Makashev should be fighting someone in, in and around the number five spot, then I, then his call-out makes a degree of sense. Rafael uh, DeSantis was another one. That might make a little bit more sense to... I hate to say that makes more sense because RDA is... Uh, he's not exactly in the best spot career career-wise either. Yeah, that split went over Paul Felder. That probably shouldn't have been split, but that was November of 2020. I mean, he was back up for he was back up for Poirier McGregor three, but he's uh, he needs another win. He needs some other. He needs another lightweight win, I think, before you could rank him that highly. But he is so. Yeah, Tony or RDA, he's not getting Connor. I mean, that's that's just a pipe dream. I don't think he'd get Chandler either, but that one wouldn't shock me. If they did Chandler Makachev, I wouldn't be wouldn't be shocked. Uh, I'm kind of more personally stumping for Gagey and Chandler, but. That's just me. You know, Dariush and Gagey, well, I've said this before. There's not a bad fight to make. There is not a bad permutation of the top ten lightweights. So even if you exclude, so if we include Oliveira through, and then we include the number ten contender, that's 11 total. And number ten right now is Gregor Gillespie, according to the UFC rankings. There's not a bad permutation of those fighters. 
there just isn't. But he should... Makashi's been fighting down for a while. Moises was number 14 coming into this. Uh, I believe Dober was... I think Dober was either unranked or again in that like 14 spot when they fought. He needs to fight up for his next fight. He absolutely needs to be fighting up. Uh, will he ever become champion? I don't know, but I wouldn't put it past him. He's very good. He's a very, very good fighter. Uh, Alright, moving on. Your co-main event. Misha Tate defeated Marion Renault via TKO. Punches, just a back control pound out. At 153 of the third. This fight sucked. I'm, I might be the only person saying that. I'm going to say it. This fight sucked. Everyone... Here's what annoys me about this. Misha Tate is functionally the same fighter she is now as when she retired almost five years ago. And everyone and their dog is going to try to tell you otherwise. Everyone in the media is going to have positive spins on this, and she's a different fighter, she's evolved, Misha Tate 2.0 is coming for the... No. Stop it. Don't listen to those people. They're either, de they're either deliberately misleading you, or they're morons. Misha Tate still will not move her head when she strikes. I can't tell you how badly a rematch with Amanda Nunes would go for her. I almost want them to make it just so that she can get her face broken again. Because that's what would happen. She hasn't evolved her game, her skill set at all. I mean, her right hand is a little bit more educated than it was, I suppose. She's not quite windmilling the thing every time she tries to throw a punch, but it's not exactly great. Her jab's not great. It was landing on Renault because Renault's as bad a striker as she is. And she doesn't move her head. You got away with it against Marion Renault. You got hit a lot, but Marion Renault doesn't have any power. Amanda Nunes doesn't need half the, uh, that number of punches. Count the number of punches that Marion Renault lands. Less than half of those if you get hit by Amanda Nunes instead and you are in serious trouble and Amanda Nunes is a great finisher. Her wrestling game is the same as it always was. Her fence wrestling isn't even great. Uh, fence wrestling has come up tremendously in the in the intervening years that she's been retired. I don't... I just don't see an, a terribly evolved form of Misha Tate here. I don't like... I'm not nostalgic for the era that Tate competed, and I have no real positive attachment to her as a fighter. I don't don't really care. Now, other people are going to feel differently, and fair enough. Holly Holm wants a rematch with her. I suppose if you have to make a fight, okay. But, uh, that's just... I don't know. Look, it doesn't do anything for me. It, it's a nostalgia trip. I don't go in for... I don't go in for most nostalgia, as a general rule. I'm just not as a nostalgic person. But Holm and Tate, too, you've got two aging fighters, two former champions. It might be a nice little nostalgia trip. Unfortunately, the winner of the, if they have that fight, you know the winner's getting a title shot. And yeah, I'm kind of assuming that Amanda Nunes is going to beat Juliana Pena. 
and that's just because that's my read on the fight. I I think Amanda Nunes... I've said this before. I think Amanda Nunes can beat that whole division. By a, by a fairly significant margin. Pena might shock the world. Somebody has to. At some point, Amanda Nunes is going to lose. Or she's going to retire. One of the two. I'm not sure Pena is the person to do it. I don't think a rematch between Nunes and Holm goes all that much differently. And I think a rematch with Tate goes horribly for Misha Tate. But you got to feed the beast if the beast is still going to be at the top. And how damning of an... Serious question for anyone out there. How damning of an indictment is it on this division that Misha Tate could take four and a half years off, come back and beat a ranked contender? What does that say about the rest of you? The answer is nothing good. So, didn't like the fight, whatever. I have no interest in Misha Tate's return. I, other people do, fine. Not here to, I'm not here to police your fandom. If, you enjoy, if you're happy to see her back, Godspeed and party on. But I, I don't. I have no interest in her return. I could not possibly care less. Uh, I shouldn't say that. And really, I think what's going to annoy me is all the the media takes coming out of this. Believe me, if you think I'm wrong, look at how many people have positive things to say about this that are... I don't know if they're just glad-handing or they're fanboying slash girling. But either of those I find somewhat distasteful from media. You might find people who are genuinely enthusiastic about this, but... Even then, I think it's—I think you're bordering on willful ignorance if you're going to start crowing about this being an evolved new Misha Tate. She's the same fighter. Her her coaches should be ashamed of themselves. You had four and a half years to make this woman a better fighter, and she still can't move her head, bring her bring her jab back to her chin when she throws it, enter on anything other than a straight line. Or not get out over her own hips trying to throw a punch. You people should be ashamed of yourselves. Or she's just terrible. And I don't know which one it is, but those are kind of the only options here. Either she's just bad, or you're awful coaches. Because if... I, I don't know, I suppose both could be true. But if either of those things... but. There's no other explanation. If she's talented and you're and you're a good coach, she shouldn't look like this. Not any This was barely acceptable at the height of her power. She was getting lit up and critiqued for this stuff. Four and a half years as the sport continues to evolve, and you guys couldn't do anything meaningful. Oh God, that borders on the that borders on the pathetic. And again, I don't know who to blame. I don't know where the lion's share of the blame lies, but I have to call it... All I can do is call it like I see it. And that's how I see it. Uh, let's see. Mateus Gamrot defeated Jeremy Stevens via Kimura submission 105 of the first. Gamrot had a really nice single. Like, he got low on it. Not quite a full-on ankle pick, but uh, lifted, the, lifted the leg up. Hit a really nice kind of pullback misdirect. Uh, jerked it backwards. Got Stevens down. Got on top. Stevens thought about a Kimura that was ill-advised. Uh, Gamrot kind of spins around, thinks about going for the armbar, instead settles for the Kimura. 
Nasty Kimura. Gets the quick tap. Gamrot was legit when he came into the UFC. He's still very legit. And Stevens, God, they should cut Stevens. I don't, I, I hate saying that sometimes because it's, it's so callous. It's so unbelievably callous of me to sit here and go, this man should be fired from his job. Like, that's that's just the kind of thing you don't ever want to say. It's not a... It, it's, it just makes me... It just doesn't make me feel good to say it, you know? But, previous discussion, I, ha- I can only call it like I see it. Jeremy Stevens hasn't won a fight since 2018 when he beat Josh Emmett. Since then, he has lost to Jose Aldo, Zabit Magomed Sharipov, had a no contest with Yair Rodriguez, got lost a decision to Yair Rodriguez, got knocked out by Calvin Cater, and now got submitted by Mateus Gamrot. I mean, the man has... Give Stevens credit. The man's been with the UFC... Since UFC 71, back in 2007, when he was submitted by Dean Thomas, of all people, and I don't say that dismissively of Dean Thomas, Thomas was a decent fighter who's turned into a pretty good coach. And he's been with the UFC since then. And he's got some good wins over the course of that. He knocked out Rafael dos Anjos with that uppercut from hell. Uh... That head kick he hit on um, Hottie Jason. It's a good win over Darren Elkins. Uh, and the, the Melendez fight was pretty good. He stopped Duho Choi. And the, that brutal... I mean, when he knocked out Josh Emmett, his last win, that was brutal, man. He broke Emmett's face. And that's not hyperbole. It's not flowery language. Literally broke the man's face in a few different places. Uh that was brutal, but you have to win at some point. You go, you have it. You are winless in your last six fights, sir. I don't really care who you are at that point. I'm, I'm kind of saying you shouldn't be in the UFC. And I, I'm not sure that that should be a controversial proposition. The UFC is the place where we should be seeing the best. And if you can't hang anymore, you can't hang anymore. That's just, that sucks. But it's the, it is the inevitable reality for everyone. Happens in every sport. And it's true of this one too. But good win for Gamrot, who continues looking quite, continues to be a very good fighter. Um, Hadolfo Vieja defeated Dustin Stoltzfus via rear naked choke 154 of the third Decent enough performance out of Vieja. Uh, he showed a decent jab throughout big chunks of this fight. He managed the fight a lot better. He didn't panic wrestle. He didn't gas himself out going for takedowns. Uh, landed, landed some good jabs. Had a decent enough right hand behind it on occasion. He's very mechanical in the punching, but... you know The man's a multiple-time world champion in jiu-jitsu. He's still... Cu- striking is still something he's very much trying to pick up, so I'm going to... I'm going to grant a little bit of a curve there. Then his back his back take, man, was a thing of beauty at the end there. Uh, just overwhelmed Stoltzfus. Once the, anytime they were on the mat, you know, Stoltzfus did a pretty good job of wall walking and trying to break free. 
but the skill differential was pretty evident in terms of the jujitsu, which shouldn't be a surprise at all. And a solid win for Vieja. And kicking off the main card, Billy Quarantillo defeated Gabriel Benitez via TKO. Just punches from the back again, but instead of having his opponent belly down, he was the one on the back. Uh, but let it punches, hammer fist, elbows from there. Uh, 340 of the third. Quarantillo just kind of beat up Gabriel Benitez for this whole fight. Uh, this was your fight of the night, which I suppose it was the most action-packed of the card, but there's also no criteria for fight of the night other than the whims of Dana White. So, like, Good performance from Quarantillo. He's, he's got a motor. He's good about fighting. He's pretty good at distance. He's pretty good in the clinch. He's pretty good everywhere. He's a, he's a tough out. Uh, he's got some stuff to kind of refine, but I mean, he only has the one loss in the UFC where his stick just didn't work. I mean, he, he could not drag... Who was it? Someone I know. Yeah, it was Gavin Tucker. He couldn't get Tucker to get out of his technical game plan. And that just kind of resulted in uh, Quarantillo trying to brawl a boxer ineffectively. So, it was, uh, this was a good, good enough win for him. Anyway, that was your main card. Prelims, Daniel Rodriguez defeated Preston Parsons via TKO punches, 347 of the first. Parsons took this on fairly short notice. Uh, Rodriguez just better. Uh, Rodriguez is someone to pay attention to. He's got smooth hands, man. Decent kicks, but he's got really smooth boxing. Now, he, he's a player at 170. He's not ranked, but... I wouldn't be shocked if he managed to get there at some point. He's he's pretty good. Amanda Lemos defeated Monserrat Ruiz via TKO. Punches 35 seconds of the first round. When you come in on a straight line and you don't move your head, and especially if you're a much smaller fighter, all your opponent has to do is just scoot back a little bit, fire a power punch down the middle, especially if you're opposite stances, and you're walking right into it. And that's what happened here. Uh, Ruiz is not an especially good fighter, I think. Um, Sergei Morozov defeated Khalid Taha via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Pretty good stuff from Morozov. Uh, Morozov. He's, he's a handful. He's a handful at bantamweight. He's got good pressure. He's good on the, pretty good on the feet. Very good wrestler. Good top control. Uh, Morozov's, I think his only loss, or one of his only losses, is to, um... Oh, um, he lost, pretty sure he lost to Umar Nurmagomedov. And then, uh, Movsor Evoyev, that was it, who's, uh, Evoyev is absolutely going to be a, he's, Evoyev is a real problem for that division. Um, and Morozov lost to him. He had a couple of other losses. Oh, sorry, I... Uh, yeah, he lost to Umar Nurmagomedov in his debut. And the only fight prior to that, uh, on a pretty big winning streak, he lost to Evoyev back in 2018. So, Morozov is someone to pay attention to. it, And Bantamweight's stacked, man. Bantamweight's just a stacked division. Uh, Malcolm Gordon defeated Francisco Figueredo via unanimous decision. There was a 30-27 that I did not agree with at all. And then two 29-28s. This wasn't an especially good fight. And kicking everything off, Rodrigo Nascimento defeated Alan 
uh, Bodo via TKO punches, 129 of the second. Uh, Bodo got the better of things in the first pretty big, but Nascimento just endured, kept going, and Bodo seemed to have gassed himself out a bit in the first and then got punched out in the second. Mediocre heavyweight fight. Don't really have anything to say about that. Uh, your post-fight bonuses. Fight of the night was Billy Quarantillo and Gabriel Benitez. Performances went to Misha Tate, Adolfo Vieja, Mateus Gamrod, and Rodrigo Nascimento. Only two decisions all night for this card. Uh, I would not have I would not have given Nascimento one of the performances of the night. I probably would have given the other one to. I've given it to Rodriguez. I would have actually. I would have given that to Daniel Rodriguez. But that's just me. So take that for whatever it's worth. Thank you to everyone who followed that uh, my live coverage or who read the full report after the fact, both of which are available in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. I appreciate all the support and attention you guys can throw my way towards what I do. It means a lot. So thank you very much. Uh, as always, let's see. This coming week. Oh, boy. This, car, this is going to be a short preview, guys. Uh... Return of former two-time bantamweight champion T.J. Dillashaw. Is he a two-time champion? Yeah, he is. Sorry, I don't know why. I... Timeline got screwed up in my head. Uh, he's returning from his two-year suspension after he got caught, uh, you know, doping with EPO. He's fighting the surging contender Corey Sandhagen. This is a like I'm gonna dump on the rest of this card because it's not a very good card. This is a very good fight. I'm not sure who to pick here. <laughs> um, if TJ Dillashaw had his feet a little bit more under him, if this was his second fight back, I would probably favor him. Coming back from a two plus... It'll be over two years. The Cejudo fight was January of 19. So we're two and a half years he's been out. Um, that's a, that's not an easy thing to come back from. Here's the other thing. The other thing is the opponent. Corey Sandhagen is a thoroughly modern mixed martial artist. The majority of TJ Dillashaw's game, not all of it, majority of it, and its success lies in exploiting uh, ten, not just tendencies of the fighter that he's facing, but in kind of challenging the accepted norms. He confused and bludgeoned a lot of people who just didn't know how to deal with constant stance switching, who didn't know how to deal with double shifts, who couldn't blend things very well. But if you look at when Dillashaw struggled, it was against other modern mixed martial artists. He struggled a lot in that... Uh, I mean, lost the belt to Dominic Cruz. I still don't know how you score that fight for him. For, for Dillashaw. He struggled in the first round of that fight with... of his first fight with Cody Garber. And he struggled mightily in that round. Uh, to his credit, he persevered and was able to get through it and the, their rematch was not as competitive. Then Cejudo... I, I know the Cejudo fight wasn't long, but for all the... I'm not a fan of Henry Cejudo's, but that man is a thoroughly modern mixed martial artist as well. I don't know if Corey Sandhagen has the punching power to kind of to kind of 
trouble Dillashaw the way others have. But I don't know how Dillashaw is going to do with the constant movement and stance switches. That's something that has troubled him. He's overcome it on occasion. His second fight with Rafael Asuncao. Uh, obviously, the second fight in particular with Garbrandt. He kind of Garbrandt doesn't stance switch a whole lot though. He does some, but not a lot. The the movement's a problem for him. Dillashaw really likes to be the more mobile fighter. He he needs you to kind of be reactive and a little bit slow and flat. And if you're not, that's a little bit of when he struggles. When when Garbrandt was moving, was baiting him in, or any time... Garbrandt, that, that first round of that first fight between those two, between Garbrandt and Dillashaw, is a great example of how to beat... Of how to attack Dillashaw's style. Anytime you don't feel comfortable with an angle that you're taking or that's being offered, bail. Reset. Attacking him with blitzes. Uh, there's a lot there that is repeatable. And he kind of got away from it in the second, especially after he got hit and hurt because Garbrandt fights stupidly when he gets hurt, when he gets tagged. But that's, that's a him problem. I don't really know. So, I don't know how he's going to deal with a very, very mobile fighter. Uh, that that's just been a problem for him in the past. My inclination, I don't. My inclination is a little bit Dillashaw, but that that layoff, man, that's a problem. Uh, so, at the moment, I watch this be a blowout one way or the other, and all the kind of pontificating and analysis and hand-wringing be for nothing. I'm going to lean Sandhagen here as far as predictions go, but that that's flip a coin. There's a lot of unknowns about Dillashaw. Uh, he might come back and look like a million bucks. Wouldn't surprise me one iota. But, I mean, if if he does, I don't, I don't know where he fits in the title picture. Bantam makes a little bit of a logjam. Uh, it, it's a little bit logjammed right now, so we'll we've got to wait for a few things to sort themselves out. But if Dillashaw wins, he'll be in prime position to make a case for a title shot, if nothing else. Uh, all right. So the rest of this card is. Yeah. All right. Let's go through this fairly quickly. <laughs> Your co-main event. Uh, Aspen Ladd and Macy Chasson. Probably Ladd. Ladd's not easy to beat. But I, I, I don't care that much. Uh, oh, Chasson's long, man. She's a big bantamweight. I'm going to pick Ladd, but again, who cares? Kyler Phillips and Harley and Paiva might be a good fight. This one might surprise people. Phillips is pretty darn good. Uh... He's got three wins in the UFC. Had a really when he beat Song Yadong, that was a pretty solid. That was a very solid performance. Uh, and Paiva's coming up from flyweight. I think he missed. Yeah, he missed weight his last fight, but by a fair amount, man. He weighed 129. Um, yeah, not a good. Uh, I'm I'm leaning Phillips there, but that might be a good fight. Featherweight, Darren Elkins and Derek Minner. God, why? 
Um, Maynard's on a two-fight winning streak. Rather, sorry, he's 2-1 and one in the UFC. Elkins ended a four-fight losing streak when he beat Luis Eduardo Garagori, who should not be in the UFC. Uh, I can't pick Darren Elkins at this point in good conscience. I just can't. He might win, but I can't pick the guy. That that I just can't do it. Uh, let's see. Miranda Maverick will fight Macy Barber. Um, Barber, she's on a two-fight skid. She had the loss to Mataferi. The loss to Alexa Grasso was maybe a little bit worse. I mean, she, her knee got damaged in the... Which one was it? The Mataferi fight was when she injured her knee. Should have stopped the fight when it happened. Um, Grasso beat her. Pretty convincingly. And Maverick seems to be the real deal. Uh, Maverick's lost twice in her entire career, both in Invicta. 2-0 in the UFC. Yeah, I'm going to pick Maverick. Uh, that's not a bad fight, though. Uh, Mickey Gall will fight Jordan Williams. I can't... I can't. Sure, I'll, I'll pick Mickey... I shouldn't pick Mickey Gall, but I'm going to. I just feel like I'll feel like an idiot when he gets blown out. That's just where I am on this one. Uh, that's your main card. As for the prelims, Punahele Soriano and Brendan Allen. Let's just see Brendan Allen back. He's just, he had he lost his last no he won his last fight. He lost to Sean Strickland and then he beat Carl Robertson. Uh, I'll pick Allen there. Uh, Brendan Allen's a pretty legit middleweight prospect. See, Shamil Abdurahimov and Chris Dawkins. I'll pick Dawkins. I think Abdurahimov's a bit washed. I mean, the man's 39. Uh, it's heavyweight. He's just, he's never been a guy to get over the hump, you know? Uh, and Dawkins seems like a fairly legitimate guy to, uh, at heavyweight. His hand, he's got fast hands, man. He's got real fast hands, especially for heavyweight. Uh, let's see. Nasruddin Imavov and Ian Heinish. Probably go with Imavov there, but... Uh, boy, remember when Heinish had a bit of momentum? Now he's 1-3 in, in his last four? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Bantamweight Randy Costa and Adrian Yanez. Why is that not on the main card? That should be... Okay. This card is weak enough. That should be on the main card. I'm just throwing that out there. That's an action fight. That should be there over Mickey Gall and Jordan Williams, if nothing else. Or Elkins and Minner. Both of those fights. This is better than both of those fights on paper. That This should not be on the prelims. Not at all. I'm going to lean towards Yanez, but that's an action fight, man. Don't miss that one. Or afterwards, you know, look it up, but... That, that's a great fight on paper, it's, it, as far as action goes. So, also bantamweight Julio Arce and Andre Andre Ewell. Andre pff, Andre Ewell. Um, what's Ewell been up to? Lost to Gutierrez. Arce. I kind of thought he beat Dawadu. I seem to recall. Lost a split decision to Hakeem Dawadu. I'll pick Arce there, but that's also a pretty good fight. Yeah, put those two fights on there uh, instead of Elkins and Minner and Gall and Williams. Better main card. Women's flyweight, Sajara Eubanks and Elise Reed. I'll pick Eubanks, but... 
Uh, Eubanks needs a win bad. And kicking everything off a women's strawweight fight between Diana Belbita and Hannah Goldie. Who's going to... Goldie's been a bit hit and miss in the UFC. I think it's those Belbita. I'll pick Goldie, but yeah, flip a coin there. Two very young, very developing fighters. You, there's no, there's no guarantees on that fight. Anyway, that's that card. Not great on paper, but I will be covering it this Saturday in the MMAZone411mania.com. So if you don't want to watch it, you can check my updates. I will keep you up to date on everything that's going on. So stop by, say hello as far as that goes. I always appreciate it. Right, let's do a little bit of roundup here from the Combat Sports Weekend. Uh, there was a Bellator card. I bring that up because the main event from that was uh, the Bellator Women's Flyweight title fight between Juliana Velasquez and... I'm going to butcher this <laughs> this lady's name. Jeez. Uh, uh, Kielholtz? Yeah, Kielholtz. Sorry. Uh, Juliana Velasquez defeated Denise Kielholtz via split decision, 48-47s, two for Velasquez, one for Kielholtz. Good fight, actually, and 48-47 for either woman. From from where I was sitting, 48-47 for either one is a perfectly justifiable scorecard. Uh, pretty good fight. Wanted to, I give Bellator a lot of crap. I want to give them credit where it's due on the occasion that it's due. Other big thing from the combat sports world, uh, Jermel Charlo, who holds three of the four recognized world titles at 154 pounds in the boxing world, was trying to get the fourth. Uh, he was going for two. He would have been the first four belt champion uh, in that since, since we've entered the four belt era. There has not been an undisputed. There's only been a handful of undisputed champions. Um, very few, actually, now that I think about it. You might... I think you've had a heavyweight. I think Vladimir Klitschko. I think Klitschko held all held all the relevant belts at heavyweight. Forgive me if I'm misremembering. Uh, Fury might have as well when he beat Klitschko. I'd have to double-check that. Then again, the, uh, the green... There might have been one that was kind of absent from that discussion, so forgive me. Uh... Alexander Usyk got all the major belts at cruiserweight. He was the first person to do that. He was the first undisputed cruiserweight champion since Evander Holyfield was. Uh, anyway, Charlo was go Jermel Charlo was going to be the uh, was trying to become the first undisputed 154-pound champion in boxing. He fought Brian Castan uh, Castaño, who has the last belt that Charlo does, and Charlo's the other three. I forget which ones. Um, Charlo, I have the list here. Yeah, Charlo has the WBA, IBF, and ring titles. So Castagna would then hold the WBC. I believe that's correct. Or the WBO. I forget which is the other recognized belt. Forgive me. Too many. There's so many in boxing. You're just going to have to forgive my confusion on some of those points. Uh, those two battled to a split decision draw. This was kind of thought to be Charlo's fight to lose. Uh, the, the Charlo brothers are decent draws. Uh, they're they're building their star power and whatnot. It's 
So there was a little bit kind of the thought that, you know, maybe the boxing more than MMA has this kind of sense about it where I don't know that there's in some cases, there's not even anything corrupt going on, but there's just enough kind of implicit, I say implicit implied collusion uh, or implicit collusion that goes on in some of these scenes that it just it kind of gets willed that direction, even if no one's expecting. Even if there's no one who's expressly corrupt, it kind of felt like that's the direction the, that boxing was going. And credit to Castanio, man, he upset that he uh, he upset that particular narrative. <laughs> he fought his butt off against a uh, powerful counterpuncher in Charlo. Uh, a lot of some people have this as the boxing fight of the year through seven months. Uh, I don't have a list in that respect, so I I wouldn't object to it. I don't think it's wrong. Uh, I wasn't really scoring this fight. I haven't I haven't been able to delve deeply into it. Uh, my my inclination, I seem to recall, on initial viewing was for Castaño actually, but I'm not I'm not gonna be I. I think a draw is a perfectly reasonable scorecard, and this was a very, very close fight. Uh, was a really good fight. They'll probably run it back, and I wouldn't object to it. So, uh, my thoughts from the weekend of combat sports that were not the UFC there, for whatever they're worth. All right, let's try to wrap this up fairly quickly. We only have a couple of other things here. Uh, oh, yes, Connor. Conor McGregor decided that he wanted to make more excuses about his loss. He claims, uh, and this should be mentioned, he claims that he had a bunch of stress fractures in his shin before the event, before the fight with Poirier. He knew it. The UFC knew it. The UFC's doctor knew it. Uh, if true... I'm going to say this for if true, that would mean Connor lied on his app on his bout application agreement, and that's a document that if you lie on it's it's perjury. It's a legally binding document, and perjury is a pretty gnarly thing to get bound up in. Uh, that's nothing you want to play around with. There's no <laughs> perjury is one of the few crimes that there's no statute of limitations on. <laughs> Uh, murder being another one. There's no statute of limitations on murder. You commit murder at any point after the fact, you can be uh, arrested and charged with murder. You know, there, there's some crimes that after a certain period of time, everyone just kind of goes, whatever. Uh, perjury is another one of those that does not have a statute of limitations. You can, you can do that. Uh, they can get you for that at any point. So that remains to be seen if that was a thing. Uh, he's also claiming he had an ankle injury. That seems to be a bit more legit. Uh, the, the claims of the ankle injury. Here's my thing about this. Uh, this is, this is just what I'm going to No fighter comes in 100%. Everyone knows it. Everyone is very well aware that there's issues and injuries and crap. That's as true of this as anything. If Connor was doing as poorly, if Connor actually had all these problems and went ahead with the fight, you have lost the ability to complain about the outcome, sir. You fought injured. 
and I'm not, uh, and you ex and it got exacerbated. That sucks, but you rolled the dice on that. That's on you. Uh, I'm I'm just, the injuries are stupid. That's just kind of what they are at the moment. Uh, the excuses, not the injuries. Sorry, the excuses are stupid. I don't have a lot of patience for them. Uh, you you rolled the dice that an injury wouldn't get worse. That's all you did. And then it got worse. But by the time you make the walk and you step into the cage, you you lose it. You lose the ability to complain about that. If you would if you'd won and you came out and said, "Yeah, I won with a broken shin." You don't get to if you're going to try and use it to build the mythology of your win, as impressive as that is, I also don't think you then get to use it as an excuse. So, if he was, I mean, he, he came out with some weird stuff, like I was sparring without shin pads, and I kept, you know, I kept kicking knees. Like, you're just not very good at throwing low kicks if you're kicking knees all the time, or your sparring partner is a scumbag. Or, here's a thought, wear shin pads? <laughs> I don't know, that, that's just, that just strikes me as very, very weird. Uh, very, very weird. I, I, I don't, I don't get that. I don't get that at all. Um, so, Connor, but Connor is on the, I didn't lose, it doesn't count, blah, 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 please. I, please believe that I'm still the same guy I used to be. He's not the same guy he used to be, not at all, and that's just kind of inevitable. I mean, no one, it, you can't be, you just can't, but... Uh, it's it's frustrating, and this is unless there's something actionable that comes up in terms of news and information and whatnot. This is the last time I'm going to talk about this crap. I don't have a lot of patience for it. I tend to object to the news cycle feeding into this stuff that like will reward Connor Connor McGregor once every eight days coming out with something new and sensational to keep his name in the headlines and everyone just kind of going along with this. I'm not that I'm not going to do it. But you know, Connor trying to diminish the fact that he lost. You lost, buddy. Uh, deal with it. All right, last thing I want to touch on. We had an announcement about the full card for UFC 266. We have the full, I think we have the full main card bout order at this point. Double check that. I believe we do. Uh, we, uh, no, we have some. We have some announced bouts, but we don't have a full bout order. We know the top three. Your main event's going to be the featherweight title fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega. Should be a good fight. We will have our sacrificial offering to the gods of mixed martial arts when Valentina Shevchenko decapitates Lauren Murphy. Shevchenko is going to turn that poor woman's... Lauren Murphy's face gets marked up fighting everybody including a bunch of people who are not good strikers. Joanne Calderwood, A, should have won their fight, and B, marked her up. Roxanne Montefiore marked her face up. So did Lee. Uh, Andrea Lee. Like, her, that woman does not wear damage well. And now she's going to be fighting Valentina Shevchenko. Um, this is just going to end so badly. So badly. Um, also on the main card, we know will be 
the second ever five-round non-title fight, non-main event, when Nick Diaz returns from his... How long has that man been out? His last fight was January 31st of 2015. So that's a... That man has one win in the UFC since since he came back to it after Strikeforce got bought out. Jeez. I mean, over you're six and a half years out. You know, a friend of mine uh, who's been on the show on occasion, Pat Mullen, mentioned that Nick Diaz's run through Strikeforce might be one of the most entertaining runs you'll ever see. And I'm hard-pressed to disagree with that. I mean, I could find arguments to the... I could find other arguments, but... If you look at... When he came to Strikeforce in 2009... Um... He came in and fought... And there was some argument about when he when it came in relative to Elite XC. No, no. So, comes in, fights Frank Shamrock, finishes him, finish, has a great, has an entertaining fight with Scott Smith, fights Marius Zerumskis and finishes him, has the rematch with KJ Noons, not as good as their first fight, but still a good fight. The fight with Evangelista Cyborg Santos, and then the Paul Daly. That, that four minutes and 57 seconds of insanity between him and Paul Daly. If you have not seen that fight... That's that's one of the better one-round fights you'll find. I don't think it's the best, but it's it's up there. That that's one of the more entertaining runs you'll find. Uh, he and Lawler fought. Oh God, so long ago. Those two fought back in 2004 at UFC 47, when Nick was able to knock Lawler out. Um, Lawler on a four-fight losing streak, man. Look, those, somewhat coincidentally, one of the other great entertaining fighter runs of in UFC history is Robbie Lawler, post-Strikeforce purchase. Well, let me read this out to you. He comes back to the UFC, knocks out Josh Koscheck, knocks out Bobby Volker, wins a really good split decision fight over Roy McDonald, drops a fight to Johnny Hendrick, Hendricks for the vacant belt. In, in a... I didn't care much for that fight, but it was action. Rebounds by stopping Jake Ellenberger. Beats Matt Brown. Beats Johnny Hendricks for the belt via split decision. I thought Hendricks won, but what are you going to do? Has what the fight of the year for 2015 when he, he and Roy McDonald go to war. Has the fight of the year for 2016 when I thought he lost the fight with Carlos Condit. But another, but another just war. You can't have... And then loses to Tyron Woodley. But that stretch, that stretch from UFC debut to title loss to when he drops the belt to Woodley. I'm not saying you can't find a better stretch of entertaining fights from a, from the same fighter. But that is absolutely one of the best. You can't be the same. You can't do, you cannot have that fight with Rory McDonald. Then that fight with Carlos Condit back to back. And be the same guy. It's just not possible. And I, I think that's, you know, manifested itself in his recent run. 
Um, I don't know who's going to win that. I got to think about that. Uh, but the rest of that card, again, we don't have a bout order, but just listen to some of these fights. Um, Tatiana Suarez is moving up to flyweight to fight Roxanne Modafferi. Um, Jessica Andrade against Cynthia Calvillo. It's a very relevant fight for women's flyweight. Here's one you got to pay attention to. Bantamweight Marlon Moraes and Mirab Dvalish, really. This is kind of do or die for Moraes. And Dvalish really is... That man might have the most insane motor I've ever seen in MMA. And, and I don't just mean like he, he's a guy who doesn't get tired. He's not just a guy who doesn't get tired. He's a guy who just doesn't... like, Who is always doing stuff. It's crazy. Uh, so he and Marais should be a heck of a fight. Uh, 266 is going to... If your other two fights on the main card are Suarez Martiferi and Marais Dvalis really, or it'll probably be Andrade and Calvillo and then Marais and Dvalis really, that's a heck of a five-fight main card. Just throwing that out there. That's a really good pay-per-view card. So that's what we know about UFC 266 thus far. No complaints with any of the announced fights. And again, th that top three, that's a good top three fights. That's a really solid top three fights, just uh, for the record. All right, let's check the news, see if anything crazy is broken. And if not, let's get out of here. All right, nothing crazy. So let's see, what did I do last week? Review last week. Yeah, last week there was a Damn You Hollywood for Black Widow. The Marvel movie, so you can check out myself, Alexis Haina, Mark Radulich, and David Wright got together to review it. That is up over on the W2M network, so wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you look for that, or you look for Damn You Hollywood, you should be able to find it. We talked about that particular movie, and had thoughts, good, bad, and otherwise. Um, let's see, I am mostly off this week, well I shouldn't say mostly off. I don't have a lot of podcasts this week. Uh, the Damn You Hollywood is for Space Jam 2, which I am not reviewing. So you can, but I would encourage you all to listen to the review for that. I'm sure Mark and company will have thoughts. Let's see what. Uh, my other stuff is just the usual slate of professional wrestling, I suppose. Monday, AW's Dark Elevation. Wednesday, if MLW releases something, it'll be that. They didn't have anything this last Wednesday. At least that I could find. So there was nothing. And then WWE Smackdown on Friday. So you can be on the lookout for all of that, I suppose. Should be a good time. And Saturday, UFC on ESPN 26. And we'll be back here next week to review that event and preview uh, UFC on ESPN 28. Boy, we are just in a drought. I mean, I am literally because of where I live, but man. Sorry, I'm just looking at this card. Your main event is Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland. And it's downhill from there. <laughs> uh, the Korean Superboy is back. Duho Choi. Um, Woo Yanan and Nico Montagna. No, I don't care. Lizess and Stoltze, Mr. Perfect, Kyung Ho Kong, and uh, Ronnie Yaya might be good. 
Sam Alvey's on this card. Why is he still in the UFC? Chris Gritzmacher. Eh. Boy. That is an awful card. <laughs> There's just nothing. Um, the week after is UFC 265. But, man. That, that, that... From 264 to 265, we have not really had a great event, have we? Because um, we had this... We had Makashev and Moises, which we went over. We have this upcoming... Yeah, that's three events on ESPN. None of which are really all that interesting. Wow. Rough stretch. Rough stretch. But I will be back. We will do the old review preview thing. Until then, thank you all very much again. I deeply appreciate it. Per usual, stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.